Good morning. We are we're nearly at the end of our, our series through Chronicles, through First and Second Chronicles. This is our second last session, and then next week we'll we'll finish, and you can be proud of yourselves. Uh, you can go and Google preaching series through Chronicles. You won't find any. Maybe you'll find this one now. Uh, so you. Some of the few Christians who've actually listened to a series through Chronicles. Uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, uh, so for the last sort of 20 or so chapters, which record the history of the kings of Judah, uh, I thought it would be too repetitive to go through each king, because uh, many of them the same, make the same mistakes, do the same good things. So I decided rather to break it up into three units to look at the bad kings, so those are the ones where really Scripture only has something negative to say about them. The good kings, where uh, the Scripture really is, just says good things about them. It's not to say they, they were perfect or anything like that. And then the, the rest are not the ugly, so it's not the good, the bad, and the ugly. I said it last time, my kids outside said, nobody laughed. Uh, <laughs> Probably all too young to know that movie, but anyway. Um, so not the ugly, but the, the mixed, the mixture. So the, the majority are, are do some bad things and some good things. And I think that's you know, more realistic, isn't it? And so we'll look at the, the mixed kings uh, next week, Lord willing. But today we're going to look at the, the good kings, so those which the scriptures uh, are, are really positive about them. Again, not to say they were perfect or anything like that, but the focus of the chronicler is to emphasize certain things. Now, before I jump into that, I just want to say, you might be sitting there, well, how does an account, the stories of the kings, how does that impact me? What has that got to do with me? Is it not really, you know, the application has to do with the political realm? And to say to you, no, I do notice now, especially because Christians are very involved in politics. They, they use the Old Testament in that way. It's really a, a wrong way to use the Old Testament because the Old Testament is not given as a political manual. Uh, we're told the whole of the Old Testament is written for our example, for believers, for all believers. And in fact, that monarchy has no similarity to anything, any political system that exists at the moment. Because it was a theocracy. It was under God. It was the nation of Israel. They were the people of God, as we've already seen in this uh, series. There's no longer any nation of God. So you might have a, a king, but it's not that you're God's people. Okay? The people of God are now the church, made up of people from all different nations, all different ethnicities and cultures and backgrounds. Uh, and then the scriptures say this, and let, let me read what Peter says, so what an apostle says, and so the early church held to the apostolic teaching, the apostles' doctrine, and the apostles are the ones who give us the interpretation key to the Old Testament. Okay? So certainly there are some things you can learn from the Old Testament that would be wise for, a, for someone in politics to learn, to apply but it's a wrong hermeneutic to say that's what it's talking about. Peter says, talking to the church, made up of Jews and Gentiles, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So if you're a believer, 
You are royalty. We are kings and queens. Don't let it go to your head, though. Okay? Don't, uh, don't um, start moaning at the waiters. and You know who I am? Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's a privileged position. And so now the application is to us. Every single one of us uh, will have some leadership responsibility in our various spheres of life. You, you may be... You start a company. You're the, the boss of the company. That's leadership. You're going to draw principles from this. Uh, in your home, you're a parent. You're a father. You're a mother. Uh, you're at school. You have to lead your life and lead your homework and lead uh, uh, your study time. All of those things. So uh, if you're in the church as well, you're going to be, we should be teaching one another, sharpening one another, helping one another. So... Uh, the application is for us. As we read the Kings, we need to be learning lessons directly for us. How to manage our lives, how to lead and to grow in holiness and to serve the Lord in our lives. So it's in 100% relevant to, to you, irrespective of whether you're in the political realm or not. Okay? Every one of us can uh, gain from this. Uh, unfortunately, there are not many good Kings uh, three that I could find. And even the last one, right at the end, there's something not great. But I, I snuck him in anyway, just because the, 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 it's two chapters that he gets and the majority is good. And he still ends well. It's not one of those. Sometimes they start well and then they end badly. Uh, it wasn't quite like that. There was still, it, was, it was not a terrible, terrible ending. So three kings. Abijah, Jotham, and Josiah. We're going to look at and we're going to draw some lessons, hopefully, and also see how they point us to the ultimate king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to see him, because when we see him, we become more, more like him. So let's, let's start with Abijah, chapter 13. You can turn there, Second Chronicles, chapter 13. So just a reminder, these are all kings of Judah, the southern kingdom. Um, and I'll, if, if this is your first time, this doesn't make any sense to you, don't worry. I'll unpack it as we go through this section. It says, uh, verse 1, In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah began to reign over Judah. So King Jeroboam is the king in the northern kingdom. After Solomon, the uh, United Kingdom divided, and so divided into north and south, and the north was run by a man, this man called Jeroboam. He became the king of, of the north, and that is normally called Israel, not always, uh, just to confuse you, uh, but generally called Israel, and then the south is called Judah, and so it's talking about in the 18th year of Israel's king, the northern king, kingdom's king. Abijah began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was in, is in Judah in the, in the south. That's where the temple is. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. Now there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. So there's a civil war that, that occurs. 
Abijah went out to battle, having an army of valiant men of war, 400,000 chosen men. And Jeroboam drew up his line of battle against him with 800,000 chosen mighty warriors. So his army is twice as strong. Not good odds. Then Abijah stood up on Mount Zemariah, that is in the hill country of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, O Jeroboam and all Israel. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? So it's in Numbers talks of a covenant of salt, but just a binding covenant. God made a covenant with David, which we have studied in as we've gone through Chronicles. And so Jeroboam, uh, sorry, uh, Abijah is saying to Jeroboam, look, you shouldn't be fighting us. We shouldn't be at war. You shouldn't even be a king because don't you know God made a covenant with David. That's the line that he has chosen, not your line. We have God on our side. We have the true Davidic line, the true king. So this is his, his defense. Verse 6, Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, a servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against the Lord. And certain worthless scoundrels gathered about him and defied Rehoboam. That's the son of Solomon. So he became king of uh, Judah of the south. When Rehoboam was young and irresolute and could not withstand them. So Rehoboam wasn't a good king. We looked at him last, last time. But still he was the, the descendant of Solomon. That was the line that God had chosen. Verse 8. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David because you are a great multitude and you have with you the golden calves that Jeroboam made, for you, made you for gods. So what happened is uh, when Jeroboam uh, took over the, the north, he didn't want his people traveling down to Jerusalem to the temple to do sacrifices and for the feasts. He was worried that their hearts would be turned and they would rebel against him. So what he did was he built his own temples and uh, he built two of them, one in the, the northernmost part of the kingdom and one in the southernmost part of the kingdom. So uh, Dan and Bethel. And he put in, in those temples, he put golden calves. Remind you of anyone who did that as well? Uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know, you'll think of Aaron. And when they came out of, out of Egypt, Aaron did the same thing. And now Jeroboam follows in his footsteps. He puts his golden calves there. Uh, verse 9, Have you not driven out the priests of the Lord? So he drives out the Levites, the sons of Aaron. He, made, he makes his own priesthood. Whoever comes for ordination with a young bull or seven rams becomes a priest of what are no gods. So he says, okay, I'm going to get rid of the priest chosen by God. If you come and you, and you bring me something, you can also be a priest. Okay? So we call that simony from Simon the Sorcerer. So that's in the book of Acts. Remember, he sees the power that Peter has, and he says, I also want that power. You know, give it to me. How much does it cost? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's cursed. It's a, it's a big problem. But it's still with us, isn't it? People, people uh, being corrupt, buying their positions. Uh, that's what's going on here. Verse 10, but as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. We have priests ministering. And then he goes on to, to defend their worship, that they worship God the true way. So notice what his argument is. He's saying, you shouldn't be fighting us because we serve, we are part of the true Davidic line, the king that God has chosen. 
and we worship in Jerusalem at the temple in the way that God has chosen. We are God's people. We are in the right. You are in the wrong. Jeroboam, look at verse 13, uh, sent an ambush round to come up upon them from behind. Thus his troops were in front of Judah and the ambush was behind them. Remember, they're double in size. And when Judah looked, behold, the battle was in front of them and behind them. But what did they do? They cry to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord and the Lord gives them victory. And verse 17 says, Abijah and his people struck them with great force. So there fell slain of Israel 500,000 chosen men. Thus the men of Israel were subdued at that time and the men of Judah prevailed. Why? Why did they prevail? Why did they get the victory? Because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. So they cry out to the Lord. They pray. They're in an ambush. They're surrounded. It seems hopeless. They're, uh, they're outnumbered. But they cry out to the Lord. And remember, that's one of the main themes of the chronicler. is one of prayer. Throughout, throughout Chronicles, we, over and over again, we see the importance of prayer. So how does this apply to us today? Um, well, we, we're, we're not called to go on a, you know, on a, a, a holy war, uh, a crusade, to use violence to spread the gospel. Uh, that's nowhere commanded in Scripture. But we are called to fight sin and to, fo- to fight false teachings. Uh, and this was a civil war. This was a war between the descendants of Abraham. They were family, weren't they? The 12 tribes of Israel, they were brothers, they were family, they would have been friends. And now they are fighting against each other. And that's always one of the most horrific things when you see in history civil wars. It is often you know, brother against brother and father against son. So how does that apply to us? Well, sadly, and I think this is probably the saddest thing about the Christian life, is that in the Christian life... Not, there's no guarantee that all your friends and all your family members will be saved. And often your most painful fight will be, will be with those that you love the, the most. Those that are closest to you. How often do we see on the prayer group, please pray for my parents, my brother, my sister. They don't know the Lord. And often there's opposition, there's, re, there's rejection, isn't there? Um, I know many of you, as you've sought to remain faithful to the Lord, have been rejected by your family. Uh, you're pushed aside. Anything, that, anything bad that happens in the family, it's your fault because you, uh, you refuse to follow the customs and traditions of your family. Uh, and so it brings division. But the Lord Jesus promised this would happen, didn't he? Matthew ten thirty four. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. So maybe, maybe you've never heard these words. Maybe you thought, well, if you come to Christ, then, then you know, everything is going to go smoothly. Well, Jesus right up front says, no, if you're going to follow me, there's often problems. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So we was Natalie and I were talking uh, last night about the desire to go and be with the Lord. So if you know the Lord, that's it's a desire, isn't it? But it's it's I hope in you it's not just escapism. It's easy to fall into that, isn't that right? You can just say, sure, my life's really horrible at the moment. I just want to go and be with the Lord, okay? Uh, basically what you say, I just need a holiday. Like, <laughs> I just want to be away from this. Things are not nice at the moment. Not, nothing's working out. That's not the way the Bible portrays it, okay? Uh, our longing for glory is not, well, it's just escapism. Life sucks and I just want to go to heaven, uh, while we are here, we are to be at work. And besides that, it's not to be selfish because, as I said, the most painful thing is that there are relatives, relations, loved ones, maybe siblings, maybe children, maybe parents, spouses that don't know the Lord. And if you're callous about that, well, then there's something wrong with you. It's a fight to, to try and win them. It's a desire to, to not... What is the, what's the danger? The danger is that we succumb, isn't that right? We say, no, I, I don't want to bring division, so I'm just going to compromise. Okay? I'm not going to stand for the truth. Um, I, let me compromise on, and what are the two things here? Let me compromise on who is the true king? Who is Christ? You water down who Christ is. Yeah, we, you know, yeah, we all really worship Christ, because that's probably most of you come from religious families have some sort of view of Christ, and you start to water it down, and then compromise on worship, not worshiping the way God has prescribed worship. But you cannot do that. It is a fight. The Lord says it's going to be a fight. He came to bring that sword, and at times it's there and it's real, and you cannot compromise on who Christ is. He is the God of the Bible, and even if your family rejects you, the Lord Jesus says, if you're not willing to go that path, you're not worthy of my king, of his kingdom. You're not worthy of him. And so that it is a fight. But God honors those who honor him. Seek the Lord. In this situation, the Lord gave him victory. Why? Because they relied on the Lord. Okay. So victory is found through relying on the, on the Lord. So the first lesson from this king is sometimes the battle is very close to home. It's a civil war here. Uh, sometimes it's very painful. Cry out to the Lord. Seek the Lord. Rely on the Lord. Remain faithful to, to the king, the true king, Jesus Christ. Remain faithful to true worship the way he has commanded in his scriptures. Don't compromise. But always in love, not with arrogance or self-righteousness. The second king is in chapter 27. So jump there to chapter 27. Let me encourage you to, to follow along. Second king is Jotham. When he was 25 years old, he began to reign and he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And notice what the scripture says, verse 2. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord.
according to all that his father Uzziah had done, except he did not enter the temple of the Lord. What is it talking about? Well, you can read in the previous chapter, Uzziah was his father, Uzziah was a king. You may remember Uzziah from from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6 says, In the year when King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up as this king. Uh, Just put the prophets and the kings together in the same timeline. Well, what Uzziah did was, uh, verse 16 of chapter 26 says this, When he was strong, so the kingdom was established, he grew strong, it says he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So you think, well, that doesn't sound too bad. Well, he was not allowed to do that. He was not a priest. He was not allowed to go into the temple and burn incense. That was the job of the priests. But you see what happened. He had become strong. He had become full of himself. He had become proud. He had established the kingdom. He was secure in his, his might and his power. And he, he over, overextended himself. He thought, hey, I, was, I think I'll be a good priest as well. Okay? Uh, let me go into the temple and offer some incense. And the priests say to him, they try to stop him. Don't do this. And he rebukes them. And while he's doing that, the Lord uh, strikes him down with leprosy. And he remained a leper till he died. And so God judged him immediately. Now notice what it says here about Jotham. So Uzziah did a lot of good things. But he began to become proud. And then his end was not good. God judged him. But it says of Jotham, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah done, except he did not enter the temple of the Lord. He did the good things that his father did and not the bad things that his father did. And I think that that's, that's a really important lesson. Um, maybe you've... I, I think children are the ones who see their parents' sins the clearest. Isn't that right? I think, I think uh, you, you live with them. You see them at their best. You see them at their worst. Uh, and so you see their, their sins. You see their faults. There's no perfect parents, unfortunately. Uh, so you're going to see their sins. And I remember a fear of mine, because it's just a reality. We talk about uh, nature and nurture. You have the, the genetics of your physical, biological parents. So you are predisposed to certain things. You're also raised, or the nurturing part, the patterns of their life. So you pick up on those things, the habits, the ways of doing things, uh, how they talk, how they interact, etc., etc. And so they shape us in a very powerful and profound way. And uh, when I, uh, you, you, as you grow older, you start to see, wait a minute, my parents are not perfect. Okay? I, I still remember that moment when I realized my dad was not perfect. Okay? <laughs> it was a... It was, Forget how old I was, but it was quite a, an earth-shattering experience when I'm like, my dad is not perfect. Okay? He, he's also sinful. Okay? And then I began to worry, what if I do the same sins? 
And I've spoken to some of you and, 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 and I've heard the same concerns. Maybe you have that. These, these patterns, maybe your grandfather did this and your father did it. And you think, well, maybe I'm also going to do that. My mother did this. My grandmother. Maybe I'm going to do the same thing. Maybe I'm going to follow that path. I'm also going to be an alcoholic. I'm also going to be an addict. I'm also going to be uh, this or that or the next thing. Whatever it is. The fear. It's a real thing. It doesn't have to be like that. In Christ, those, those consequences are, are, are dealt with. There is victory. That those sort of generational curse things that the Bible talks about are broken in Christ. You don't, you're not forced into, well, this is my genetics and now that's just what I'm going to be. Jotham shows us he did not do the sins of his father. It doesn't have to be that way. You, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can be different to your parents. That's always my hope because I, sanctification is generational. It doesn't happen. It's not that you get saved and then by, just before you die you're nearly perfect. It's not like that. Um, you know, if you're a first generation Christian coming out of a, a really pagan, dark background, and this is for all of us to be patient with people who come from that. You can see the Corinthians. Remember the Corinthians, how bad they were? Okay? And yet Paul is not phased by that. He's just like, you just need to keep fighting this and dealing with it when I tell you to deal with it. But he understands that where they've come from. But Lord willing, their children will be a little bit better. And their grandchildren will be a little bit better. Okay, that's what we should be striving towards. That, uh, that we, we learn from our own mistakes and our children learn from our mistakes. And so let me encourage you, uh, young people as well, don't think, well, you're just trapped. This is the path. Okay. Let me assure you, you will see predispositions in your heart and mind that pull you in certain directions because of that. We're all wired differently. We all have different Achilles heels. But... By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can say no to sin. By the grace, as Paul says, by God's grace, you can say no to sin. It's not a fait accompli that that's the way you're going to go, because that's how my father was, that's how my mother was, that's how this person was. No, by God's grace, you can be different. Jotham was different. And he begins to build, as you can read from verse 3, he begins to rebuild uh, the cities and... He defeats the Ammonites. God gives him victory. Verse 6. So Jotham became mighty because, he has the reason, he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. So notice this theme again we've seen throughout Chronicles. He builds, he builds cities, builds buildings, builds, they built the temple as well, and they fight. Remember what I said with um, Spurgeon's uh, weekly booklet. It would go out there, print thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of copies. It was called the sword and the trowel. Okay, so the trowel for building and the sword for fighting. That's the life of the Christian. We should be building God's kingdom, building in the lives of others, building gold, silver, precious stones, and fighting sin, fighting false teaching. That's the life. That's what Jotham did. Why did God give him victory? Because he ordered his ways before the Lord. Ordered, the idea there is he established, he directed his life before the Lord. Literally the word there, the Hebrew word is face. In the face of the Lord. He lived acknowledging that God was always looking at him. And that's how he structured his life. 
If you want to be a successful Christian, by a successful Christian, I mean someone who overcomes sin, who grows in holiness, grows in the fruit of the Spirit, grows in love. You, have, you and I have to establish, direct, order our lives at, as knowing that we live in the presence of God. He is always looking. How are you going to stop secret sins? What are we worried about with secret sins? What if someone comes through the door now? What if someone sees? What if someone sees my history? God is seeing it all. You think he doesn't see it? He sees it all. God is there. You live Coram Deo in the face of God and you, and you structure your life like that. That's what Jotham did. He ordered his life in the face of God, before God. And isn't that what Jesus did? John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. How often does he not say that? I've come to do the will of my Father. He lived all. It was just second nature. It was always there. The will of the Father. That was his focus all the time. Unfortunately, we slip in and out of that, don't we? Sometimes we go weeks. We realize, sure, I haven't really prayed about this. I've made all these huge decisions and I've actually not even considered God and His will. What does He want? Jotham did not do that. He ordered his life, his whole life. He established his whole life in the presence of God, in the face of God. And that doesn't happen overnight. That's a discipline. We create, we are creatures of habit. God has made us like that. Start to work on that habit. Consciously thinking of the Lord. Every day. Pray without ceasing. I mean, that's not, I don't believe Paul is saying, you know, just stop working and just go and pray the whole time. I believe that he's saying that that, that communication with the Lord is always open. That at any moment you, you, uh, you're shooting off little prayers to God. Uh, help me now as I, I go write this exam. Uh, thank you for saving me. Thank you for a beautiful day. Sure, what a, what a great sunset. You're so kind. It's always just there. Second nature. You begin to live in the presence of, of God. Turn now to chapter 34. The final king, Josiah. Josiah is a king towards the end of, of Judah's sort of existence before the Babylonians uh, conquer them and take them into exile. So if you want a timeline, he's from sort of 641 BC to 609 BC. The, the, the first invasion by the Babylonians is in 605 BC. That's the first invasion. The final one where they destroyed the temple is 586 BC. So just to give you an idea, uh, whereabouts. Verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Okay, so a, a lighty, as we would say. <laughs> just eight. Um, I'm sure people must have been quite scared. Can you imagine an eight year old? <laughs> Maybe they made them different, I don't know. Uh, um, and he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. And look at this. 
And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Isn't this beautiful? Just a, and you want this epitaph? And then in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, so when he was eight years old, he becomes king in the eighth year of his reign, so 15 or 16 years old, he began to seek the God of David, his father. He's only 15. He's a teenager. Our modern invention, teenagers. There's no such thing in scripture or in most of history. You're either a child or you're an adult. We have now a middle category. But he's young. He's a boy, we're told. 15 years old, 16 years old. What does he do? He begins to seek the Lord. So this is really, if you're older than 15 or 16, you can switch off. (laughs) Not really. But let me challenge you teenagers. Don't buy into the lie of society that, you know, you're a teenager, so you're just going to be a nightmare and a mess and confused and stupid and... You get a free pass to be rebellious and, you know, he's just a teenager. That's why he swears at me. (laughs) Uh, No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's that's an abomination. In the Old Testament, you would have been stoned to death. Seek the Lord while you're young. I can guarantee you can interview people in, in glory who began to serve the Lord when they were teenagers and say, do you regret serving the Lord so early? You won't find a single one said, yeah, no, I should have lived a little uh, and then served the Lord. Not at all. No one will ever say that. No one. If you understand sin and the devastation of it, you will flee to Christ right now. The scars and the wounds, the brokenness, the hurt, the shame, some of those things, those scars are with you for your whole life because you didn't listen when you were a teenager. Be like Josiah. Seek the Lord. Now. While it is still day. Seek Him. Use. This is, this is an amazing verse. Um, actually, I'm jumping ahead. I'll come back to it. First. But serve Him now while you're young. Use your strength now for Him. You're not missing out. At all. You're gaining. Seek the Lord. Cry out to Him. Even in the midst of your confusion and hormones and everything and what's going on, that's when you need Him. Cry out to Him. Lord, help me. Give me direction. Guide me. Lead me. I could think of the Lord Jesus. The only story we have from His childhood. And he's 12 years old, eh? he goes to the temple. Already he says, I must be about my father's business. Okay. Now none of us are the Lord Jesus, but all of us, if you're, if you're a believer, you're a child of God. You and I must be about our father's business. Don't think I'm, I'm too young. If you understand what I'm saying, you're old enough. Seek him. Seek him is not a passive thing. It's not something you do for a minute and then you... It's, it's, it's something ongoing. It's a fight to seek the Lord. Even the, the passage for this evening. Strive to enter in at the narrow gate. Not fall in at the narrow gate. It's strive. It's seek. 
It's hard. But it's worth it. Seek him while you're young, like the Lord Jesus. And then what does he do? And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram. So they had built on the, on the mountains, the hills, they had built these altars to these false gods and goddesses. So the twelfth year of his reign, he's 20. So still young. He starts to get rid of these things. Now look at what he does. Verse 4. And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence. So he went and he made sure. He didn't just send an edict. He went and stood there and watched. While they did it, they chopped them down in his presence. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and metal images. And he made dust of them. And scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. They dug up the bodies of these false priests and he burned them. Okay? And he does it in all the cities. He even goes into Israel and does it as well. This is ruthless, radical reform. He's taking no prisoners here. He is destroying any hint of idolatry in in Judah. Breaking everything down. Even even if they're dead, he's making them deader. (laughs) It's it's at the root. That's what radical means in the Latin. It means at the root. You and I should be radical Christians at the root, at the core of our being. And he's only 20, so let me talk to you 20-year-olds, those in your 20s, okay? Be ruthless with the sin in your life. This is true for all of us. But may, in, in, you know, in, in our 20s, there seem to be more options for sins, probably. There's more avenues, more, more available. But follow the example of Josiah. Destroy them. Okay? Not just you know, push it over a little bit so it just sort of falls gently, the little altar <laughs> in your life. You smash it to powder. Okay? Now, there is a sense, you know, we, we're wary of being fanatical. Okay? And that's right, because fanatics can be fruitcakes. But that's, it's not right... To not be fanatical in our hatred of sin in ourselves. Okay? A lot of us are, ha- are fanatical in being self-righteous about other people. That's totally wrong. But hate your own sin and destroy your own sin. The other thing is, when you hear me telling you to be ruthless about sin, maybe some of you are thinking about becoming legalistic. Now, one of the sins you need to be ruthless about is legalism. It's not like that sin's okay. No, get rid of legalism as well. But wherever there's just a hint of sin in your life, where you're opening a door to that sin, be ruthless with it. Pluck out the eye. Cut off the hand. That's what Josiah does. He he destroys it. This is what John says. 1 John 2.14 He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Isn't that amazing? Young men, young women, you should be strong in the Lord. It's not to say, 
yeah, well, one day, you know, when I've finished Xbox and PlayStation, then I'll, I'll be one of those strong Christians. John says, use your strength now. You have physical strength and vitality that you will start to lose later on. You should be strong now, fighting sin, overcoming the evil one. That's what Jotham, Josiah did. While he was young, he used the strength and energy that he had to, to fight sin. He goes on and he repairs the temple. It is so bad that while they're repairing the temple, they find the Bible. Okay. They'd lost the Bible. Can you imagine? Okay. They call it the law. Okay. That, that's how bad things were in, in Judah. This is God's people. You can just imagine, you know, this church has fallen into disrepair and you know, we, we say we're part of Heritage Baptist, but then one day someone's cleaning and we're like, what is this? I wonder what this is. It's a Bible. <laughs> That's what they did. They discovered the law. And they start reading it. And Josiah realizes, wait a minute. We're not obeying this thing. We've got a whole lot of traditions. And he starts again to, to root it out. He puts this, the authority of Scripture above everything else. That's the next lesson. God's Word must be our ultimate Authority. It's not optional. It's not just taking the bits that we like. Okay? We all like that, aren't we? Know that we, we if if we don't sort of battle in an area, then we we like those verses. Okay, we're quick to talk about that. Okay. Um, quick to talk about this problem or that sin or that sin. But then when our sin is confronted, now then it's a, we have an explanation, we have all sorts of other things. Then you're not putting Scripture as ultimate. You're not submitting to it. Scripture will confront you. One commentator says this, God's Word is never entirely comfortable for those whose lives it confronts. Okay, that's the truth. And so he reads it and he says, we've got problems here. And so he, he wants to, he seeks the Lord. He goes and sees uh, the prophetess, Hilda. And she says to him, look, God has decreed to destroy Judah. Because Judah has become so wicked. But God will be merciful to you. Look at verse, chapter 34, verse 26. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place. And its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. And then he promises that the judgment won't come in his lifetime. But what was the key? Notice the word humbled is repeated twice here. In this section, three times, we're told that Josiah sought the Lord. So the key, you want to walk with the Lord, the key is humility. Commentator said, humility is the antidote to forsaking the Lord. People who forsake the Lord, they don't, nobody forsakes the Lord because of intellectual reasons. You know, something's more compelling or this or that. People forsake the Lord because of pride. They refuse to submit to what God says. The way you're going to fight that is humble yourself. Okay? Submit to God's word. It's humility. Humble, humble yourself and seek the Lord. 
And then, because they found this, the law, probably it's the book of Deuteronomy, uh, and, and all the first five books, they see, well, there's also the Passover. We haven't been celebrating the Passover. Look at chapter 35. That's all about the Passover. But look at verse 18. Thirty-five, verse eighteen says this: No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and Levites and all Judea, etc., etc. What a sad statement! But what a glorious statement that Josiah does this. He takes God's word seriously. He says, "Wait a minute, we're not doing this. We need to do it." And he keeps this Passover so gloriously that the scripture can say there was never a Passover like like this Passover. Well, we live several thousand years later. We can say there's a better Passover, isn't that right? There was a king who kept a better Passover. Better than Josiah. The king of kings. The lord of lords. Who not only celebrated a Passover, that's what he did. Remember when we have communion, we read those words. They have the Passover meal. And he says, with desire, I have desired to eat this meal with you. Remembering the exodus. Remembering God's deliverance out of physical slavery and bondage. Remembering his great redemption of his people. But you see, physical liberation is not enough. It's not enough just to be free for our short lives. It's a great blessing, but it's not enough. It's, we need more. Those of you who've done School of the Bible, you know that when we do Isaiah, go through the prophet Isaiah, that Isaiah sees that there's a problem that God's people are going to end up in exile in Babylon. But God will raise up a political leader who will, who will allow them to come home, Cyrus. And so they will be, be freed from Babylon. But Isaiah realizes you can take people out of Babylon, but how are you going to take Babylon out of people? That's the real problem. How are you going to get the world out of you? And so he then starts to tell us about another Savior, another servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions. See, that's our problem. We need our heart to be changed. And so Jesus does not only celebrate the Passover, he becomes the Passover lamb. That's what Paul says. He is our Passover. Judgment can pass over you because it fell on Christ. So you and I can go free. And you receive that by simple childlike faith. And again, as believers... It's not, oh, well, that's, I know that story. I, you know, I believed that long ago. I've moved on from that. No. Every day to remember that you're forgiven. That judgment has passed over you. That you don't need to live in fear of judgment. You don't need to live in fear of death. Or fear of hell. You're forgiven. Christ has atoned for all of your sins. And so all of these kings in their small little way point us to the great king, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who submitted to the word of God. The one who sought the will of the Father. The one who from his youth lived only for God. 
And ultimately, he was the final Passover lamb, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the example of these kings. do pray that you would help us by your spirit to learn lessons from their lives. Help us to be, to be more like you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the ways, the small ways that they show us something of you, Lord Jesus. But they pale into comparison to who you are and what you have accomplished. So thank you so much that we live on this side of the cross. And we don't have to try and glean something from these fallible kings. But we we know the true king in all his beauty and his glory and his perfections. Father, we do cry out to you if there are any here who don't know you. Think of the teenagers, Lord. So many distractions, so many temptations. uh, Access to so much. uh, So many of us growing up never had to face these temptations. Psychologists and sociologists are only now figuring out the damages that these things cause. Oh Lord, please keep them. Give them hearts, soft hearts, to cry out to you, to seek you. And may they know you. Those who are a bit older, Lord, may they be strong, overcome the evil one. Give them much grace, Lord. And for all of us, we thank you that you will, you will keep your children. You are the good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.